Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. Today we're going to be talking about issues of free speech in the workplace. Uh, the impetus for this episode is a recent news out of Google that the company will no longer be permitting political discussion on its internal chats, its internal mailing lists. Um, these have a long history within the company of being the place where Google employees just talk about whatever they want, apparently, um, uh, specifically because, you know, Google has some heavy, like, no, non-disclosure agreements. There are certain things that they can't discuss outside of work, and so these chat rooms have effectively formed as a response to that, as a way for employees to discuss not just what the company is doing, but other subject as well, including politics. Um, reading from CNBC, as part of the move, Google is making changes to how it moderates discourse and enforces the new community guidelines on internal forums and mailing lists. And what this amounts to is they now have the ability to say, stop talking about politics on these chat rooms. So what every employer would love to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, there are, I think it sh should be said that most uh, employers didn't previously have this outlet. Google is sort of unique in the respect that this was previously allowed. Mm -hmm. But there's, because of the size of Google and the various things it touches, um, it's concerning. I, I might be too strong a word, but it's something. Yeah, it's, well, it's also because I'm guessing if you're a Google employee, not only because of the NDAs, but also in a physical sense, mm -hmm. it might be hard to have the proverbial water cooler chat mm -hmm. because I'm guessing that you probably have an open large. office plan. You're you're probably never very far away from the person who's your boss, but that's not mm -hmm. going to be their title, that right. kind of thing. So it's a little bit difficult to engage in those discussions. And you know, beyond that, in this day and age, we don't really want to engage in political discussions face-to-face -face in the workplace, most mm -hmm. of us. Um, so this kind of served as a safety valve for Google employees to to sort of, you know, uh, be able to discuss these topics um, mm -hmm. at a distance from each other, and well, that that always makes employers uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Certainly, when when yeah. you start being able to do that, yeah. It, and Google, I mean, from the sounds of it, previously had been pretty open to even criticism of its work on these chat rooms. It, we we've talked on a show in the past about how its employees organized against its contract with the defense industry and how it, this sort of open culture is, I mean, we as, you know, people I'm punching out say, this is what employees deserve, but there are reasons why employers aren't willing to offer it to most people. Yes. And I would guess that this is a very strict value calculation on the part of Google, mm -hmm. that it's not just that. So, they allowed it, I'm guessing, as long as it was more useful for them than the headaches that were resulting from it. Mm -hmm. But the moment it became clear, because this is classic now, you can get, you can have employees who are allowed to criticize the company as long as they don't do it outside of work. That's yeah. fine. Um, because as long as you don't actually have to do anything to remedy those criticisms, mm -hmm. as long as you don't actually have to change what path you're taking or whatever uh, to respond to them, then you'll allow it to happen because it gives you information on your employees. It lets you know who's the person who is constantly complaining mm -hmm. about whatever it is that you're doing, who's the person who might be politically aware and sort of organizationally inclined. This is something that you harp on a lot on this show, the idea that employers give employees this freedom to the extent that it benefits employers. Yes. Yeah. I this is absolutely a Noah hobby horse for sure. <laughs> but I think what you're seeing here is that once Google once the employees of Google realized that they could use it for ends that were not what Google intended, 
it, it's going to be gone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, specifically, the CNBC article notes that last year, uh, liberal employees organized walkout protests for policies against sexual harassment. One of the employees who that. led the movement and later left the company alleged continued retaliation from Google's top brass. So that th- could never that happen. sort of openness was not necessarily um, on all things, and like probably. The bigger thing Google might be worried about is that they've been in the news, at least in right-wing circles and, like, in the president's Twitter feed Mm -hmm. uh, for, like, supposedly having this bias against conservative employees. Um, The CNBC article has this sentence. Earlier this month, former Google engineer Kevin Cernecki claimed he was fired for being an outspoken conservative and alleged that Google fosters a culture of politically biased bullying. And the president tweeted about this. This got all sorts of play, uh, like Fox News and the places you would expect. Uh, My man Kevin here chose one hell of a week to claim that conservatism is – or that conservatives are being bullied. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm guessing he would also object to being called a bed bug. Well, yeah, but and CNBC does not note this. I had to go strangely to the Daily Caller to find this out about our man Kevin here. <laughs> Quote from their like opening paragraph of their story on him: the most recent ex Google engineer who claims to have been fired for his conservative views also suggested raising money under the auspices of the company's free speech listserv for a bounty to identify Richard Spencer's assailant. The Daily Caller has learned. So he wanted to, like, raise money to find the guy who punched Richard Spencer, the most famous white nationalist in the country. Um, That's pretty classic. I mean, what we've seen, especially in the last couple weeks, Mm -hmm. if you've been following the the whole Brett Stevens controversy at the New York Times, Mm -hmm. but certainly not that alone, is that conservatism is an entire philosophy these days that is predicated on nothing but politically biased bullying. Right up until the point until someone punches back, mm-hmm. um, at which point they instantly, you know, run to whoever is supposed to be the quote unquote yeah. adult in the room and uh, cry to them mm-hmm. about it. And and that's our man Kevin. That was before him. Our man James. That mm-hmm. that's what they love to do. Uh, James Demore is uh, who you're referring yeah, to. Um, Demore or Demore? I have no idea how to pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah, he had this like. What was it? A memo? It was a memo. Right. It was a memo that he sent where mm-hmm. he, in the year 2017, mm-hmm. he felt it was okay to talk about how women are biologically less capable at science and math mm-hmm. um, than men through Google. And then apparently he ended up creating one of these internal mailing lists to discuss that. And mm-hmm. as you might expect from him posting a thing that was an obvious provocation, uh, it got plenty of, of pushback from people and criticism. Mm-hmm. I'd have to imagine from a lot of women who were working at Google at the time, among other people. And he eventually got fired for it. And he claims he was fired for truth. Yes, yes. That was his like Twitter username. That was. That's just a classic and name. And he made just a massive amount of of you know, he actually like was able to fundraise off of that for a good amount of time. And he was able to make the circuit and go to all the right wing websites. And I'm guessing right now if you know, if any outfit wants to hire him or sorry, if he wanted to, he could get a job at pretty much any right-wing or libertarian outfit right now. Probably. I don't think yeah. they're going to hang him out to dry. Mm-hmm. Um, just going back to uh, this Kevin Cernecki fellow because there's there's more. Oh, um, boy. The, the way he phrased his um, like fundraiser to find the guy who punched Richard Spencer is, uh, quote, a well-known conservative activist was sucker-punched on camera in D.C. while giving an interview, which, um, hmm. I mean, the Kevin – is the one saying it. We're not even doing that uh, anymore. But that's great. Um, so keep this in mind when CNBC says he claimed he was fired for being an outspoken conservative. You know, he's um, not necessarily the most reliable source, perhaps. Yeah. And the guy that uh, filed a lawsuit against Google with Damore, we're just going to say <laughs> that that's how you pronounce Marriott. it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, David Gutterman, I'm guessing, okay. he claims that the, that Google discriminated against him because they fired him for making posts suggesting that a Muslim coworker was a terrorist. 
Because that's the thing. They mm-hmm. always claim systemic – they understand perfectly well right. systemic bias and systemic discrimination when it's against them. Mm-hmm. They they don't get it for other people, but they perfectly get it when it's their speech or their actions that lead to their firing, even when the acts in question are things that shouldn't be acceptable to do about one of your coworkers. Yep. It's not uh, – you know, it's not – he didn't – I mean this – wouldn't be any better, I don't think. But like, it's not like he went to human resources and said, oh yeah, by the way, the guy who works two tables over from me keeps making comments about, you know, blowing up the office or whatever. Mm-hmm. That would be, if if you were fired for that and your coworker happened to be Muslim, I would be, I would perhaps still be suspicious. Mm-hmm. But you could at least claim, look, I did what I'm supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. But this is just high school crap. This is yeah. this is nothing. Uh, this is cafeteria stuff. Mm-hmm. I I think you'd mentioned you described earlier the right wing move being to you know provoke and then point out the response to provocation mm-hmm. as this unacceptable terror. And this is pretty much explicitly laid out in a uh, Gizmodo article by Kate Conger from last February. This is a paragraph in the art in the piece. If an employee posted on Google Plus or a mailing list about diversity, he or she would often be met with responses that seem designed to draw them into an argument, according to current and former employees. If the employee took the bait and responded angrily to the provocation, their response would be screen capped and sent to HR or to an alt-right site. The interaction seemed tailor-made to get Googlers who spoke up in favor of diversity in trouble so that they would speak up less frequently, employees who experienced it said. So there it is just out in the open. Yeah, it's, again, it's very unsurprising. Silicon Valley tech companies in general, they like to portray themselves as being above the political fray in this mm-hmm. regard. You know, uh, your your Jack Dorsey's and your Elon Musk's and your Larry Page's and whatever, mm-hmm. they, they would all love to be considered nonpartisan, you know, yes. technocrats mm-hmm. in a sense. But the problem is that they still have to hire people to do all the stuff that they claim credit for. And a lot of those people in this day and age, because of the way that we do still prejudice Mm -hmm. uh, STEM education, the ways that we still do prejudice STEM Mm -hmm. employment, and the ways that we just prejudice work in general, Mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot of, uh, unfortunately, white guys, probably straight white guys for, for the vast majority, who have a very entitled mindset about what they're allowed to say and do in a workplace. And when they run up against any kind of like modern professionalism or even just bare personal ethics, um, it's not going to go well for them. It doesn't surprise me to learn that these guys thought that a legitimate move for a workplace discussion was to basically beam Nazis at mm-hmm. people. That That's not very surprising to me. I mean, I, I grew up with a few people who were like that. I'm sure almost everybody listening, uh, if you graduated high school anytime in the last 20, 30 years, you probably had a friend like this. And I've taught kids like this. Mm-hmm. And it's it's they don't understand why that's not okay. To them, it's no different from you know it, somebody saying something to you in a classroom and you getting your friend to... Uh, what did the young estate roast them more heavily later in the day? Mm-hmm. Now, we, we started this conversation talking about these like right-wingers who have been fired by Google for like defending skinheads or whatever they do. But it should be noted that Google is you know, trying its best to appear nonpartisan. Um, the uh, Gizmodo article I referenced just recently was uh, – the headline, quote, Google fired and disciplined employees for speaking out about diversity. But but isn't diversity a good thing that Google wants to do? Well, you know, there's it depends on I don't I don't know how to respond to that question. And I don't think Google does either. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, quoting from the article, Tim Chevalier, who was fired in a November twenty seventeen fired in November 2017 from his role as a site reliability engineer at Google after he made several internal posts calling out racism and sexism at the company, sued Google today for discrimination, harassment, 
retaliation, and wrongful termination. Chevalier, who is transgender, queer, and disabled, alleges that Google failed to protect its female, minority, and LGBTQ employees from harassment on internal forums, but was quick to crack down on those employees when they spoke out about their experiences with racism, sexism, and homophobia at work. Ah, so the way Google is responding to this question is to do their diversity initiatives and then mm-hmm. put the ball squarely in the court of women, people of color, people yep. who are uh, queer people, people with disabilities, just ensure that it's on them to stand up for themselves and then crack down on them when they do. Right. That, that's really cool. And and the article specifically cites uh, Demore's uh, lawsuit, was whatever. it? Oh, or okay. When he got fired and became this big public figure as like, one of the things that led Google to ramp up this sort of enforcement, you know, it's the right wing move again, but yeah. like more broadly, we've seen it in our um, like political culture that like Fox News poses, you know, decries media bias. You know, it says while all being this, Fox News, right? Yeah, all this mainstream media is, you know, liberal bias. And what a lot of liberal institutions do in response is to try to appear less liberal bias by giving a platform to bed bugs and yeah. the like. There was, a, um, there was actually a thread I just saw earlier today on Twitter about it. It was basic history of how the New York Times and other opinion pages I, have gotten I, I to believe the I saw that they this are. Too, yes. And it was saying the exact same thing, but mm-hmm. it made the point that tech companies aren't ready for this mm-hmm. because, again, tech companies see themselves as by virtue of the mindset that they encourage in people. And I mean, again, if you work or live or study with a lot of engineers, you will have encountered this mindset in mm-hmm. the wild, so to speak. But you, they see themselves as experts in fact, as right. people who are just going to figure out what's the best way to solve a problem and then just do that. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You, you can't sort of bring up questions of morality or, or anything like that to them because those are sentimental, right? And they see themselves this way, and the problem is that that opens them to a direct political attack. Mm-hmm. So when the right wing claims that Google or Microsoft or Amazon or whatever the hell um, mm-hmm. are biased against conservatives, it, they don't really have a way to fight that because they – they have twin pressures there. Mm-hmm. They have the one, the problem of seeing themselves as people who are naturally balanced. So and if somebody objective, says objective, inherently yeah, objective. That's the best word for it. Objective. So if somebody claims that they're not, they have to roll back to, mm. to being that. But also they have the other pressure that money just makes you a terrible person. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of rich people involved in these things. Mm-hmm. And sure, like I'm not saying that you can work for Google and make lots of money and not have relatively decent politics. But the fact is that Google is responding to pressures from a lot of people whose economic views, no matter what their social views Mm -hmm. might be, force them to be essentially on the right or at least defend it. Mm -hmm. And I I think what we can say is that the liberal institutions, whether it's tech companies or media outlets, have a really bad They've shown themselves to be really poor at responding to bad faith attacks. They they aren't prepared for the idea that no, like who was it the like the Twitter troll who like made up a sexual assault accusation about Chuck Schumer, like if you recall that. Oh yeah, you know it. This idea that you know liberal norms might be weaponized against these institutions by you know conservatives who say, well, aren't you about you know this diversity of thought, this uh, the the marketplace of ideas? Yeah, which again it relies on there not really being a consensus mm-hmm. about what like this is another of my hobby horses, but about what morality and ethics are in mm-hmm. this case. Because it it creates these norms are unmoored from any material reality. Okay. This idea that diversity of thought is a good in and of itself, mm-hmm. um, it cannot stand if part of that diversity of thought is giving voice to people who want to kill people of color, to people who want to banish them to from people who want to deny ch- climate change. Yes, example. to to people who, if your diversity of thought is so thin 
it, or rather so broad, I guess I should say, is so broad that it's including people who are denying other people's humanity or even their right to exist mm-hmm. on basically whatever identitarian basis that might be because I'm mm-hmm. not including political identity here. What you end up with is useless. Yeah. And and you can't do that and have a functioning society. And the problem is that, again, I think the real question is whether liberal institutions in our world are um, have been taken in accidentally and they didn't realize that this is what they were in for or if, they're, if they've been fatally wounded from the get-go by their need to still appeal to the same people that the right wing – can always appeal to, mm-hmm. you know, the, um, if you're the Janice guy or if you're mm-hmm. James Damore or if you're any of these people, you can always find a new right-wing patron to give you money or you have the money yourself mm-hmm. in many cases. If you're on the left, we don't really have an infrastructure that can support that. If you're, if you're the guy who uh, – or the person, sorry – if you're the person who, you know, relitigates and somehow magically makes it so that unions can be a thing again mm-hmm. and demand dues and whatever, uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. not going to be a, a left-wing billionaire coming on. Tom Steyer isn't going to come around and hand you money right. to go work for him. Actually, he might, but then you're suddenly going to be a lot less le- left-wing. Mm. So that that's part of the danger. We are we are always in the one sector where our good faith is always goes unrewarded. Yeah. Um, here's just another example from this Gizmodo piece about Google's response to this sort of tactic. Well, Google stepped up its recruiting efforts at historically black colleges and universities in recent years, an effort that was the subject of intense internal debate. The conversation heated up as several media outlets reported on Google's recruitment from HBCUs with some employees questioning why Google had selected these particular schools rather than other universities that had not historically served black students. Uh, The former Google employee responded, calling those questions unequivocally racist. The employee received a formal reprimand from Google HR in 2016 for the comment, a copy of which was reviewed by Gizmodo, which called the statement disrespectful and divisive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are some... Positions that don't reserve respect, that don't deserve respect, mm-hmm. and there's some division that needs to be drawn. And unfortunately, I think what you're seeing here is that Google can't even step to defend its own policies because, mm-hmm. well, this has two wins for Google in it, and this is mm-hmm. kind of one one of these is a little bit sneaky. The win that they have is that they get to look good, right? That's mm-hmm. the obvious one. They get all the good public relations, blah blah blah, but. By not defending their decision and by cracking down on employees who actually are basically – they're being toadies. Like they're mm-hmm. defending what the company is doing. Yeah. You'd think that would be rewarded <laughs> right. behavior. But if you don't reward that behavior, then you also signal to the guys who are you know taking those posts and screenshotting them and sending them to alt-right websites. You're letting them know, hey, we're just doing this for the public relations boost. Mm-hmm. We don't actually believe a word of what we're saying. Yeah. And it lets those guys know, because they are mostly guys, uh, that no matter what, you're you're still kind of on their side, mm-hmm. no matter what. Yeah. And that's a vote of confidence that, again, if you're somebody like Tim Chevalier, you're not going to expect from Google. Or you might have expected it once upon a time, but have been very quickly disabused of that notion. Yeah. Um, we'll be back after this break to broaden our discussion away from Google and towards other instances of employers uh, restricting their workers' free speech. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Noah. I'm still here with Ryan. Hi. When we left off, we were talking about how Google responded to their employees talking politics on the Mm -hmm. company's internal mailing lists. And what we sort of like to do now is broaden that out and talk about the fact that, well, as Americans, Mm -hmm. we tend to hold that the freedom of speech is this absolute bedrock liberty that should be as unabridged as possible. 
And if you're familiar with recent American history, there has been a section of the American population that's willing to fight the government on this mm-hmm. to the point of taking up arms against it while claiming that they're the real patriots, but that's mm, yeah, neither yeah, yeah. here nor there. What we like to talk about, though, is the fact that often if your speech is abridged, it's almost certainly not by the government. Right. It's by your employer. Mm-hmm. And that should probably worry you more. And part of that is we have this constitution that legally prevents the government from abridging people's speech in right. that way. But employers, it's it's open it's season. It's perfect fine. And you do see that line a lot. You saw it in the Obama era. I mean, you still see it now. Um, when somebody gets fired for expressing right-wing views, the mm-hmm. right-wing crows about it when it's left-wingers, but – it's uh, I've been in my share of online arguments, yes. Yeah, and it's always, you know, freedoms from speech isn't freedom from consequences or mm-hmm. only the government has to respect your speech rights and so right. on. And I think what we like to get across is that there's a difference between losing your job because mm-hmm. you stood up for people who are already marginalized in and outside of your workplace and losing your job because you denied those people their humanity. I mm-hmm. mean, there there's a big gulf in there right. that I think everyone wants to avoid dealing with because it's thorny and complex. Mm-hmm. But I think it actually matters to what we're talking about here. I think there's a liberal instinct to have these sorts of norms that are content neutral, that we treat Nazis the same way we treat uh, communists. Well, not just communists, but like basic liberals. We give, we let Nazis hold rallies. You know, we, yeah. you know, that's what this country does. And and the idea that somebody might be fired from an outlet, no matter how repugnant and obviously so their speech is for like something they post on Facebook, that rubs a certain type of person the wrong way. We need to, you know, treat all beliefs with the same amount of respect, whether or not they deserve the same amount of respect. Right. Yeah. That That's basically it. It's just landerism mm-hmm. in the extreme. But what we're saying here is that, you know, employers shouldn't necessarily be trusted more than the government. Um, th- this whole country, as you mentioned, you know, was founded on this idea that, well, we're, we're very skeptical by nature of government tyranny. Um, there was a book a couple of years ago called Private Governments by Elizabeth mm-hmm. Anderson, where she lays out the argument that Effectively, your employer, your company that you work for is a government all its own. And yep. it is not a democracy, as we've pointed out on the show countless times. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a tiny little tyranny. Yeah, it's in another of my hobby horses. It's mm-hmm. straight up feudalist. I mean, yeah. companies more and more are trying to be your manor lord to mm-hmm. you. And if, if they could... They would make you go back to subsistence farming and everything, but they can't because you can't be as productive that way. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. There are these uh, dystopias that we usually come to as a culture in 1984 being a big one where like the government has run amok with power. Those seem to have greater um, prominence in our culture than, say, the idea that companies might do the same thing. Yeah. If you, if you write a story, if you write a book – or a video game, or what have you, where the main conceit is that it's companies that are controlling rights, yeah, you get laughed out of the room. Mm-hmm. That That's supposed to be crazy. Yeah, um, and just like this happened two weeks ago at this point, uh, it's, a, it's a headline in Splinter News, uh, shell workers had to attend Trump's speech to get paid. Quote, when Donald Trump stood before a crowd of workers earlier this week at a Royal Dutch Shell petrochemical plant in western Pennsylvania and rambled on about how much he likes large trucks, the (laughs) workers weren't necessarily Trump fans. They had to be there to get paid. Uh, The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported that while attendance was not mandatory, rules distributed to workers days ahead of Trump's Tuesday visit made clear that those who didn't attend wouldn't be paid. Yep, and then they it would be considered an excused absence, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't be paid, and then you also didn't qualify for overtime on the next day, yeah, I believe I, is how it worked, mm-hmm. which is, I, I'm sure it's legal. I don't yeah. know how, but Probably. I'm sure it is. Um, I think it, if I remember correctly, they also mentioned that, so you couldn't bring a lunch with you, mm-hmm. and you would be there during your lunch hour, but lunch would not be provided for you. Mm-hmm. So there was you were basically SOL on eating during this thing. They mandated how you could dress for the event. You had to wear high vis long sleeve clothing. Got it. The, and the like reflective colors. Yep. The 
fluorescent. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't wear your boots, mm-hmm. yeah, but tennis shoes were okay. Yeah, like it was just it, – it made very clear that in a lot of these things – oh, and also this wasn't supposed to be a Trump rally. This was mm-hmm. supposed to be like an official White House event and then Trump turned Which, it anyway. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean it's the same thing. I know. But – he still managed to turn it into from congratulations to this terrible company for opening this terrible plant that is going to further the murder of the planet Earth. He <laughs> turned it from that into like a thing about vote out your union leaders if they're not pro-Trump. <laughs> Classic. Ugh, he's oh. just – it's the American id in a person. <laughs> and this is not the first time something like this has happened. Uh, there's a story from 2012 about uh, where miners alleged they had to – Give up pay to attend a mandatory Romney rally. <laughs> the first sentence in the article is, would you give up a day's pay to see Mitt Romney in the flesh? No. Oh. <laughs> I think he'd have to pay me. But, quote, workers at one Ohio coal mine might not have had a choice. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and here I thought that you weren't supposed to interfere with a person's private, you know, political yeah. choices and, and all of that. Isn't that why Google is restricting political mm-hmm. talk? Isn't and, that the whole point? And I think it's worth making the point that if you let employers be the be-all and end-all, if you let the private sector do whatever the hell it wants on the issue of speech, well, the people with the money, the people who dictate the private sector are going to be conservatives. They're, they're not necessarily going to value the things that uh, – liberals value even let alone people like us on the left yeah and there are absolutely not going to be people who value they'll say that they value the same things that working people do because again y'all know this i work with teach uh have to deal with a huge number of various future managers of america let's put it that way kindly yeah, I happen to work with a lot of various strides of right-wing people, mm-hmm. adults, children, whatever. Anyway, the point is that one thing that sort of gets through to them is that, especially the kids, is that I don't disagree with them that living within your means and working hard and certain other things are like good personal values to have. Mm-hmm. I just happen to disagree on them being – on it being okay that they're a necessity to survive instead of being a choice you make that, you know, you can sort of mm. look back at and say, oh, well, you know, that's why I think I'm a good person. Yeah. And whatever. And they're always surprised to learn that because to them, if you're anywhere right of, you know, Dick Cheney, you're – Left? You mean? Sorry. If you're anywhere left of Dick Cheney, if you're anywhere center of Dick Cheney, <laughs> you are immediately the welfare queen. You know, mm-hmm. you all you want to do is sit there and take handouts and all of that. And it, it really does reach them to kind of go like, you get that the people that you're sticking up for here do not value these things. Mm-hmm. Like the CEO of this Ohio mine, the people at Royal Dutch Shell, then they don't value their workers. We know that because they were using them as props. Yeah. And these aren't the only two cases for either 2016 or 2012. Yeah, There were oh, a number yeah, – I think there was an employer – I can't remember where right now. But I believe there was an employer who explicitly told his employees that he wasn't giving election day off because he thought they would vote Democrat yeah. in either 2012 or 2016. Mm-hmm. And again, if you let the private sector handle all of your speech issues, that's what's going to happen. There's no way around it. Because the people with the power and the money, whether they say they're Democrats or liberals or Republicans or whatever, they're conservative by virtue of the fact that they are defending the power and the money that got them where they are. Mm -hmm. And it goes beyond even attending political rallies. Uh, There's – I'm reading from Business Insider in 2009, quote, a salesman says he was fired for voting for Barack Obama after his boss sent an email to all employees warning that he would fire them if they dared to do that. So, well, you got to admire that follow through. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah. He's consistent. Um, according to the suit, Matthew Brandt, the owner of KK Office Solutions, <laughs> sent the email. <laughs> sent the email threat to all employees just before the election, warning them to rethink your vote on November 4th. <laughs> rethink this, employees. Mm. Do better. Yeah. It, that, that's pretty amazing. I mean, it's 
It, because again, if if you talk to any of these uh, any of these types of people, they will invariably tell you that if you bring up racism mm-hmm. or sexism or what have you, you're the one getting political. But they can't wait mm-hmm. to get political. I mean, it's their favorite thing to yeah. do to yell and stamp their feet about how everyone doesn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Um, just historically in this country, we have a rich history of people on the left uh, being sort of pushed away from their workplaces, to put it politely. Uh, when we talk about the Red Scare, m- much is said about like Joe McCarthy, you know, this mm-hmm. government official, but a lot of what the Red Scare did happen in the private sector. It was, you know, mm-hmm. Hollywood blacklists. It was all these various institutions, unions especially, pushing out their suspected and actual radical members, the people yep. with like communist beliefs and anarchist beliefs. And before then, during the, the first Red Scare in the 1910s, it, mm-hmm. wasn't, the, it wasn't usually the U.S. Army, mm-hmm. you know, scraping union leaders' uh, kneecaps off. That was the Pinkertons, and that mm-hmm. was other private paramilitary companies. Mm-hmm. And the Palmer Raids. Yeah. There are any number of examples we could go to to say that when you give employers this power, there's not, um, it's not going to necessarily go well for the left. Which is a thing that I don't understand because, again, this is supposed to be like a bedrock American thing mm-hmm. that we don't – we're not okay with being told what to do. Yeah. We're not okay with anybody telling us that they know better than us, that they're smarter than us, that they know what we should be doing in any given situation. And yet, when it comes to employers, when it comes to bosses, we repeatedly roll over for them. We let them have that power. Yeah, and we've let them legislate it. We've let them uh, – jurisprudentialize it into the the bedrock of the nation. We've let it happen. And a number of people that I know for a fact, if you talk to them mm-hmm. about their bosses, have the exactly correct opinion about them, <laughs> that if you talk to them on how a workplace should be run, they understand yeah. that they are absolutely being shut out of that power. We'll, we'll still defend the right of their bosses to treat them like crap. Yeah. Um, and But – I think it's worth going back to the point you had made at the start of the segment that, you know, there's we have to be able to make distinctions. We have to be able to say that a boss firing somebody because they voted Obama is very different from a boss firing somebody because they're a Nazi on Facebook. Right. Just I remember a few years ago, probably around 2016, I, I had this co-worker who would occasionally talk politics around the, uh, the kitchen where I work. And I got an idea of where he stood when one day he asked me how I felt about the tyranny in this country right now. <laughs> As a joke, I responded, I'm all for it. And a few weeks later, unrelated, I'm sure, I learned he was fired for going on a racist rant against his co-workers. Like, and something like that, like bosses should be able to fire somebody who does that. Because I, I think it must be said that if you're this idea that you can just be a racist outside of work and it won't impact your workplace. Like the people who have to interact with you can't yeah. trust you to be, you know, to just set your racist biases aside the moment you clock in. You know, that that is in itself a hostile work environment to know that the person above you, the person who might have power over you is this racist in public. Yeah, and not to put too fine a point on it, but you have myriad ways of not having to attach your name to any of this crap. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, if you want to be openly racist, it, I mean, the it has never been better. It's never been for easier. You. Yeah. It's never been easier. It's never been easier for you to suffer no consequences for being that way. Uh, all of that stuff, you can do it whenever you want. The thing is you just can't attach your name to it. Mm-hmm. So if you're the kind of person who manages to get fired for dropping a racist rant outside of your workplace, then frankly, that's on you. I mean, it's on you either way, I guess. But like, to be fair, his racist rant was inside the workplace. I know that's even worse. Yeah. But what I'm Don't saying is, if you're somebody who's, if you're somebody who's going to do this stuff outside mm-hmm. of the workplace and you get nabbed for it, mm-hmm. you don't really get to complain. I mean, there's so many ways you could have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for, mm-hmm. you know, some meddling kid. So I, I think one way to maybe strike the balance between giving bosses all the power in these decisions and. Uh, not doing that is having a union who can put checks on the boss's ability to fire workers for something that's off the workplace. Because I imagine a lot of unions would be just as quick to say, no, we're not having our Nazi in our ranks, you know? One would hope. I mean, I think for the longest— It's not a guarantee, Right. 
I, I think, I mean, my solution here is just don't have bosses, right? Yeah. Uh, that That's ultimately what you would want. Mm-hmm. But in the short term, yeah, there, there are ways to include them. I'm familiar with a couple... This isn't specifically about this kind of stuff, about speech mm-hmm. issues in the workplace. But I'm familiar with a few teachers' unions that, as part of their contract with their school districts, so they maintain tenure and they maintain a number of other things. But the when it comes time to, say, a district wants to terminate a teacher, the teachers' union is there with them at every step of the mm-hmm. way. They provide a representative. They provide attorneys, all of that stuff, mm-hmm. because that's what they do. They're a union. Right. But they're also privy to all of the reasons why the district is saying, well, we need to terminate this teacher. And they can essentially make a decision as if to say, well, we would prefer that you not do so because it would be worse for us as a union. But in this case, we find this fairly justified and we're going to just ask that you make sure this teacher gets everything that they deserve Mm -hmm. out of their contract. Whereas in another case, they might fight like hell because they're going to say, no, this is wrongful termination and we're not going to let you do it. Having an extra a check on power, as we're so fond of having in our government, you know, mm-hmm. checks and balances, democracy in the workplace. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it, interesting maybe it term. Work, huh? hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think we have to be very skeptical, temperamentally speaking, about this sort of thing. And we already are when it comes to the government, but we aren't. I think when it comes to bosses, I think even on the left, mm-hmm. we suffer a little bit from thinking that if you just put the right person, and I'm making 72-point air quotes around mm-hmm. that, uh, in charge, then everything will be solved and it will all be fine. And that's just not going to work. I mean, that that's what the liberals thought was going to happen when Obama was elected. And look where we are now. But what if you put the left person in charge? <sighs> Please tell me we're going to break. Yes, yes, we are. And when we come back, there's a bugaboo of mine that I want to get into. And I promise better jokes, too. Hey, hey, guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Hi, y'all. We've been discussing free speech issues in the workplace, and now I want to get to a broader question as to what we're talking about when companies uh, fire employees for political speech, political and big air quotes here. Now, you might remember one of like the very first episodes of Punching Out is uh, it was me and Kadeho. We were talking about free speech in the workplace, actually, in in light of the Colin Kaepernick story, Mm. uh, where Colin Kaepernick was uh, effectively blackballed from the NFL for kneeling during the national anthem in protest of police brutality and the racial disparities within that. Defenders of the NFL would sometimes point to the league's fan base, you know, doesn't come to the stadium to see politics during the national anthem, which is... Mm. Another matter. But I, I think it can be fair to say that the NFL's fan base, like diehard NFL fans, tend to be more conservative in the broader scheme of things. There are a lot of NFL fans, obviously, but yeah, fo- football fans I mean, even skew just, towards the right. Yeah, even geographically. Conversely, Major League Soccer is a thing I care about. And it, it has sort of the opposite problem on its hands late, lately. Also about... You know, free speech, not necessarily about its employees, but we'll get to that. To, to give some background here, soccer fans in the U.S. are mostly young, urban, you know, millennials, uh, hipsters is often used to describe them. They, they have liberal to left politics in general. You know, the most diehard supporters of MLS especially are this way. And, and soccer fan culture is somewhat different from our other major sports and that fans like have flags and sing songs during the games. And so the combination of these things is like for years, it has not been uncommon at all to see pride flags waving in MLS crowds. And, and the league has more or less been okay with this. It has, it had an openly gay player in Robbie Rogers for a few years before he retired. And more recently it has like celebrated pride month as a league with rainbow branded uh, jerseys and apparel, which there's some commercialization to this, but 
you're not going to see that out of Major League Baseball or right. the NFL by any stretch. And so all this has led to a recent tension between the league and the fans who are often featured in the league's marketing because it likes to play up the atmosphere at its games. Do you know what the iron front symbol is? Like, Yes. It's, it's the three arrows that... Pointing downward. Right. It's, many of our listeners will not know that off the top of their head or at all, but it's a symbol that uh, has its roots in Nazi Germany from the opponents of Nazis, we should be clear, you know, anti-fascist activists in Germany, and it has been adopted by anti-fascist activists worldwide, especially in recent years. Which I'll include the weird note that one of the three arrows is communism, but that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. In the original symbol, anyway. Um, And this symbol, also not too uncommon in MLS crowds, especially in the Pacific Northwest, where the presence of groups like the Proud Boys and Patriot Prayer have made anti-fascist organizing on the streets more... A necessity. Yes, yes, we can say. And the league this year has instituted a new policy that bans large signage and flags and banners of a political nature, which um, the definition of which uh, the league is obviously would not say that a pride flag is political. That That's free to do. It wouldn't say an American flag is political, though I think we can say that like these displays of patriotism or I went to a game last month, which was military appreciation night, where the teams came out in like camouflage training tops and such. The the question I'm getting at, the thing I'm angling at here is what do companies, institutions, all these people who want to say on, you know, who aren't comfortable with, quote, political speech, what do they mean by political? Among other things, the first thing to note is that they mean political speech that they are not comfortable agreeing with. Let's start with that. Because I do think, especially the farther right that you tilt, Mm -hmm. there's this idea that uh, politics, that your politics are just common sense, Mm -hmm. values that we all share or should share, and anything left of that is politics. Because Mm -hmm. it's this idea of like, God forbid you actually try to convince someone or try to form a group with somebody instead of being a sack of potatoes, basically. And the comparison I'm going to make here is the if you're familiar with the idea of becoming smell blind to something, you know, like Mm. where there's just a common smell in your house and after a while you don't even notice that it's there, though somebody just walking in will. Mm -hmm. Um, Something like the national anthem being played before every game is pretty much unique to North American sports. And we don't really notice that as a political statement, but it wasn't always the case. It's something right. that emerged during World War II, I believe. It's and then adding God Bless America. A- as after 9-11, the, yeah. especially. Which is the only song worse than the Star Spangled Banner, but whatever. <laughs> Musically speaking, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ryan, we're reading off a Guardian article that you uh, yes, had yes, the I, kindness I have to send other, us. Um, resources uh, yeah, called MLS and Antifa America's Top Flight Grapples with Political Signage Ban. This is from about a week ago, actually, mm-hmm. 21st of August. But you've got – so you were saying yep. how is MLS going to respond? What do they consider politics? And you've got uh, – is Don Garber the commissioner yes, of the league, is. I take it? Yes, he is. He says, a rainbow flag is not a political statement. In this case, the Iron Front is a political organization he attempted to distinguish. But when pressed on whether a Make America Great Again hat would constitute a political statement, Garber replied that it's hard for me to respond to those kinds of things. I don't want to get engaged with that. It's very simple. We do not allow for political signage in our stadiums. But anyone you pull off the street can tell you that a make uh, well anyone who's not invested mm-hmm. in defending that right, right would be able to tell you that that is political signage that's yeah. definitely broadcasting your political affiliation and they're very much splitting hairs on this ban and on this issue uh like you can have a shirt with the iron front symbol on it that's fine you can have a sign that says anti-fascist that's fine but the symbol that means anti-fascist no no, no don't do you that you can't have that Well, because they're testing the waters. Mm -hmm. I mean, they know that they have to sell a product to a particular crowd, and they know that they don't want to crash that product Mm -hmm. because they're not at the, you know, fire insurance sale level Mm -hmm. that MLB and NFL and all the others are, where they could kill the game and make Mm -hmm. it unwatchable and and still make insane amounts of money. And there's – the league has been 
I mean, it's fair to say a liberal league in comparison to like the NBA or the NFL and MLB, especially the NBA is a little, mm. little more on this end. But like a few after the shootings in Dayton and El Paso, a, a player during a nationally televised game after scoring a goal grabbed a, the uh, broadcast of, mic on the field, yeah, yeah. right? Alejandro Bedoya, who yep. was with the U.S. national team for several years, you know, shouted into the mic, Congress, do something now and gun violence. And not only was he not reprimanded for this obviously political statement, he was voted player of the week. Hell yeah. yeah. That's you know, actually kind of kind of cool. Yeah. Um, like there was a protest for, among fans from uh, Portland and Seattle during their most recent game in protest of this uh, signage ban and the, uh, you know, the Iron Front symbol being banned. Uh, it took the form of they spent the first 33 minutes, um, 33 on acknowledging uh, 1933, the year the mm. Iron Front Group was formed in Germany, not singing and chanting. And on TV, as somebody who watches a lot of these games, it was very noticeable. Portland is one of the more raucous crowds right. in the league, and it was quiet. And then after 33 minutes, they all burst out, and there were a lot of Iron Front flags Good. that they had managed to sneak past security. Um, but like even before that game, the two teams exchange on the field exchanged banners that said anti-racist, anti-fascist. Yeah, and and like you can't imagine NFL teams doing that. Yeah, it's again, it, it's one of these classic things where the league knows <laughs> its audience, right? Yeah. So they know they can't completely ban that sort of thing. But what they can do is they can make it harder to bring it into the <laughs> stadium in the first place. And what they hope to do is, number one, establish the precedent that mm -hmm. this is a thing you're not supposed to do, so we're going to make it difficult for you, hoping that that's going to eventually lead to to that reaction being muted. And then, on the other hand, hoping that this, I guess, shuts up the right wing who are supposedly watching uh, soccer now? I, it's hard. I don't know. Man. I, I guess it's, it's – I, I don't know if you want Proud Boys going to soccer games. I don't, but – and there are teams that have had some issues with like fascist fans, but yeah, you know. because sports is a real battleground for these mm -hmm. things, especially not exclusively, but especially in the U.S. Where like again, because we can't have mature discussions about mm -hmm. politics, everything has to be done through the lens of mm -hmm. something else, and we always pick sports. Mm -hmm. And really, the news about this ban has had the same sort of effect as if. Hypothetically, if you were a New York Times columnist and you responded to a mild joke about you by emailing the guy's boss, you would raise a lot of public attention towards the very joke that you were so upset about. Yeah. Well. And just for example, uh, the team in Cincinnati is now sending out emails to its supporters, you know, notices that say, okay, we can't do this anymore after there were several iron front flags in the crowd during their most recent game after this right. ban because – all the league supporters are saying, okay, we're not you know. Yeah, we're going we're yeah, to make gonna, this. We're going to counterattack. Uh, you, you'll like this bit, of, uh, this bit of copy. On match day, if you spot a banner garnishing the Iron Front logo, please garnishing. feel free to talk photo of the flag slash individual so that the stadium ops team can address the issue in real time. So talk snitch. Photo. Is, Wait, say that again? Talk photo is how they, is like the actual wording from the... Talk photo. They mean take, take photo, a photo, but Well, I they also say garnishing instead of brandishing or something like that. Yeah, this is very dumb. Yes. Again, I don't want to get too deep into this further than we already have because like MLS supporters are not workers for the league, though the league benefits from their presence, but like they're paying customers. But the point I'm getting at is that like, Google has the same issue when they're talking about what is political speech and what is not. Like, they are a company that controls what information goes to what people. Like, that is inherently a political thing. You, they aren't going to ban discussion of that process, presumably, from its mailing list. Right. You know, they have to make these weird de decisions about what constitutes politics. Which goes back to the thing we were talking about, that there are supposedly these content-neutral norms mm -hmm. that enable you to separate what uh, what is politics versus what is not. Mm -hmm. And they don't really exist in the real world. I mean, mm -hmm. I think ultimately what this comes down to is that in this country, we have a culture that makes us run away from politics. Mm -hmm. it, there's You see this with a Idiots who say that we're a republic and not a democracy. Just it, great idiot. 
Yeah, it's it's very bad, but it's there because the culture of the country enables it to be there. There's this idea that you vote every year, two year, four year, whatever, for your representative and your and, senator. And that's and, the entirety of politics. Exactly. And that the idea is that you elected those people to do the job for you. They do the politics. All yes, politics they do there. politics. Washington DC is where they do them and and that's it like the politics are not done to you and what that misses is that that's a rich person's conception of how to do politics mm -hmm. because of course they can just buy someone off mm -hmm. and send them off to Congress and trust that they'll do what they're told mm -hmm. the rest of us don't have that luxury it doesn't matter if you're a personally speaking, a liberal or a conservative, the policies and the politics that would help you as a person, mm -hmm. unfortunately, you don't get to just go vote for a person and send them on their mm -hmm. way and say, okay, well, now I can wash my hands of the whole matter. I've done my job. They're going to do what I told now, them. Now to we go to brunch. Yeah. But that's kind of the problem mm -hmm. because ultimately politics are inherent in everything that we do because we are political beings. Mm -hmm. And if you try to make meaningful distinctions about these things that are content or value neutral, you end up sounding like this Don Garber guy where he clearly doesn't understand what he's talking about because he can't. He mm -hmm. it, his, his head is not able to hold those conflicting ideas at the same time. Mm -hmm. we, have, we have to break out of that paradigm. Yeah. I know there's something you've been wanting to. Yeah. So, so there's... There was from a – earlier this year, there's a story uh, which, again, Ryan shared with me from NBC News, restaurant worker who says she was fired for speaking Spanish fights back. And it's a woman who was working at a, a – I'm guessing from the name, a sort of Italian food place okay. and exchanged a few words in Spanish with a waitress and the owner – went off on her and, mm -hmm. and yelled at her about, do you want me to put burritos on the menu? And uh, we, we you, you didn't travel thousands of miles away mm -hmm. from your country to not speak the language. And, okay. you know, this is America. We speak English here, which I don't know if you guys uh, have heard an episode with me on it before. I'm Puerto Rican. This is what I'm afraid is going to happen mm -hmm. to me every time I'm in a public place and I open my mouth and use my native language. Mm -hmm. But this happened to this lady and she was fired for it. And the interesting note for me, sort of also a terrifying one, is that the man who fired her was born in Argentina, was raised in Italy, and that when he interviewed this lady, he interviewed her in Spanish. And that he never seemed to have a problem with the language being spoken. Mm. And she then proceeds to say that after a few years, he kind of became worse. Okay. He, he changed mm -hmm. as a person. And this isn't the first or the only time I've heard of employees, of workers being mistreated at work for essentially not breaking a law. Number one, there is no official language of the United States. English is the common language, right. but not the official one. And – when you have the power to do that to somebody, to fire them, to remove, to strip them of their livelihood, mm -hmm. of their access to whatever it may be, money, healthcare, housing, all of those things, simply for speaking a different language than you, especially when you're somebody who also speaks that language, mm -hmm. who presumably – who has seen already more of the world than the average American has. Presumably knows – Exactly what she's going through in, in some respect. Maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, that that would be – that's especially terrifying because – but it, it reminds me and it, I think it should remind all of us that, again, this is why the political dimension of these things depends on the material realities, on the actions and the content of what you're doing and not the people that you are. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of the centrist and liberal thought on this would be, again – if you just, you know, put more entrepreneurs of color and you put more people, you know, who have gone through some of these difficulties and blah, blah, blah. If you put them in charge of everything, things will work out just uh -huh. fine. And that's just not the case. I, I think a broader lesson from the show, if I was to sum it up, you know, mm -hmm. neatly, is that the power to determine what constitutes politics, what constitutes unacceptable politics can't just lie with the bosses because their views on what is politics are weird and odd. Just yeah. 
and and their views are always self-protective, right? Mm -hmm. They're they're always ultimately about is this something that gives you the ability to resist me? Mm -hmm. Because that's if, if there is a thesis to punching out, it is ultimately that your boss mm -hmm. and uh, whoever that is would love to be, you know, the duke of the workplace. Would yeah. love to have a complete and total authority over the peons that are their employees. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we sort of roll over and let that happen in many ways, it's not our fault in a lot of ways. But the fact that we've let it sort of sit and it's fester to this point. Yeah. yeah. That is a little objectionable, I think. Mm -hmm. I think you you at some point have to wonder are we taking this uh, like where, Just how much of our politics are we willing to cede to the people who already have the money and power? Exactly right. Mm -hmm. that, that's as good a way to end this show as we're going to get. Um, for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out, and remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.